We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. True Faith Newcastle United podcast. you got Alex Hurst, Norman Riley, Mark Corby, and we're here to talk about Aston Villa 2. Newcastle United nil. Me and Norman were at the game. Mark watched the game. Norman, it was really shite. <laughs> um, I should just finish. Yeah, that's finish it. <laughs> um, no, it was terrible. It was, a, it was a, a terrible performance that obviously we're going to discuss throughout the podcast. Um, I'll speak about the day first, maybe because that's really that was really good, right? Um, obviously got to Birmingham on Friday night. In uh, got in late, had a couple of pints, big crack on. But then the next day we had this kind of pub route. Um, planned and more or less followed it and uh, we just ended up drinking some really brilliant bars, right? Um, the, the This last one, a pub called The Children. Um, I mean, we ended up covering about seven miles on foot, I think. And uh, we had a tour of Aston, walked through the housing estates and whatnot. That was that was educational. Um, but the pubs were, ju- were just great. It was a good, I thought there was a really good feeling in the city centre. I think Villa, if you're going to Villa and you're at the pubs and you're the ground, there's always a, it's always a bit of needle, right? There's always a bit of edge. It's not particularly pleasant. Whereas in Birmingham City Centre itself, um, it was just it was just a lovely lovely day. Um, good food, good beer, good cheers. I say, um, and then we get to the match, and obviously I was at the last away match where away fans were permitted, permitted at Southampton. Really good day, good win. That game that you actually thought maybe we've turned a corner here, uh, maybe we've we've kind of stumbled on something because we look we look really good. I thought we created chances against Southampton, dominate the game, etc. And weirdly, despite everything that's gone in between pandemic football. Um, it didn't seem like five minutes since I'd been away. It was brilliant, like walking to stay in that, regardless of what you know, what my kind of thoughts on the on the game might have been before it started. I kind of had a sneaky feeling we'd lose, but regardless of that, that that emotional connect you get when you're in a stadium, it was there. Like it was there. It was brilliant, and it, it reminded me of so the, the day prior to it, walking into the stadium, seeing the players come out, hearing the noise, feeling the buzz, reminded me. It just reminded me of how good how good it is, right? Um, and then obviously the football itself just comes and ruins everything. I, would just, I should have just left after two minutes. Um, but uh, the, the performance, lads, I genuinely can't think of a single positive from that game. And I'm not, it, it, the funny thing is, I'm not necessarily trying to be intentionally negative. Um, I, I think I said pre season that I had a decent feeling about the season. We've got good players. We ended last season well. I think we hope, we hope so. We're pretty high considering. But the first two games of the season have really given them a batter. And, and, and Saturday's game um, was, I think, one... I mean, Mick Martin's just put an article on the True Faith website in which he's saying this isn't two games, this is two seasons plus two games. And it was almost like everything 
that we've been concerned about under the current regime was encapsulated in that performance. It was it was listless, in it was lacking in direction. In the minute that the the minute that they scored, really, we never looked like getting back into it. Um, and then as soon as we went two 0 down, I mean that was it. You know, I think what was kind of telling for me was match of the day highlights that I watched this morning. The moment that I got the second goal, which is the seventy sixth minute, by the way, that was it. The highlights were over. Um, and a similar thing happened against West Ham. We're two goals down, half an hour on the clock, twenty minutes on the clock against against Villa. And there's nothing. There's nothing. So it almost says to you, well, the minute we're two goals down, regardless how long's left on the clock, we're done. And it was uh yeah, bitterly, bitterly disappointing for performance. Yeah, when when me and Norman were going on our um walking tour of uh of Aston to Birmingham and everything in between. Um if anyone if anyone needs a sofa, <laughs> there are lots of sofas being fly tipped near uh, near Villa Park for some strange reason or in the housing estate. Um, some canny looking ones as well. I'm not. They weren't even like battered or anything. They just looked like, like Norman correctly said, if someone these people who'd fly tipped had just rang a charity and said, "Will you come and take this away?" They, they probably would have taken them. But it's a different conversation for a different podcast. Probably not this one. Any any students listening who are um, moving to Birmingham <laughs> this month, get yourself an Aston. You can kick your I think I saw a coffee machine. It just needed a plug into it. <laughs> um. But on that walk, Norman, it was you know we had it. We had more than a few drinks, hadn't we? Pre pre match, and um, we, we just you kept saying it, and I kept saying it. about every five minutes of the walk, it was just like that was really fucking shite, wasn't it? It was like the it, because you only lose two 0 and because I mean, Woodman hasn't really had to make a save. And this, I'm, I'm going to come into how Bruce interprets this and how we interpret this. But that the more we kind of fall back to the game, the more you were just like we got zero from that there was it was it was the same performance i've seen that performance about 30 times under bruce the, the exact same performance and for bruce to come out and talk about aspects of the performance that pleased him literally the only thing and i'm trying to be impartial here the only thing that could please him was not losing 5 nil. Do you know what I mean? Like the, 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 we didn't create any chances. We had one chance in the first half where Wilson should have done better, but that was from a, d- a defensive mistake. You know, we'll talk about Bruce and VR later, but both VAR decisions, as much as I hate VAR, I wish it, I wish it didn't exist, but it does. You know, if we're if you know boots on the other foot, we would be screaming if either of those decisions went against us. Um, you know, we'll concede the penalty from a marginal but correct offside and a clear handball in the box would be going nuts. Um I, I said this a lot last season, and I even said it a little bit, you know, in nineteen twenty. And it's interesting you reference that Southampton game because normally on a podcast that we would do, we wouldn't sit here and talk about a game that took place sixty games ago. Do you know what I mean? But because it was the last, league, it was the last league game where fans are allowed in the ground. It almost, like you correctly say, Norman, it's almost like that was the last game because we were there. Um, but my last league game, I think, was the away game before that against Palace at the end of February in 2020. And I remember doing this podcast at the end of that game. I left that game early against Palace because the performance was so pumped. And to be fair, Palace could have won that 5 or 6 nil. But we played a formation that didn't work. Well, at least four players out of position that day, Palace. We played ASM through the middle, which didn't work. He couldn't get the ball. We The opposition goalkeeper didn't make a save. And the opposition won in second gear. And here we are, eighteen months later, and nothing, nothing, literally nothing has changed. Like nothing has changed. And you're right, McMartin makes a brilliant point, Norman. That this isn't just two games. There are some. I put a couple of tweets out last night. And you get the replies. 
hysteria. It's only two games. It's not two games. I've seen that performance. I'll tell you. I'll tell you the other as an example. I saw that performance last year at Aston Villa when we got beat two 0 and Villa won in second year, and I saw that performance the year before when we got beat two 0 at Aston Villa, and it's just it's just the same thing over and over again. And I'll bring you in now, Mark. Um, maybe we'll talk Bruce later on in the show, but I think you said to me when we were chatting today that it it was hard for you to even maintain focus in the second half and as the game goes on because there's just not there's just nothing is there there's nothing there how how did you say it mate when you were watching the game you're right mate it's it's weird hearing norman speak now because obviously his passion and enthusiasm yesterday was exactly what i was like last week for the home game um you were buzzing to be back uh you couldn't wait to be around friends family singing your heart out and hoping for a good game and me, Norman, and Keith did the preview on Thursday, and the optimism was still there. Norman was excited about going to the game. I predicted an entertaining 2-2 draw. Keith said would win. Norman went for a ones each. You know, and, but for me, it's it's weird because I went full circle now, and I feel, after watching it on the telly yesterday, so not involved. You know, you're not with friends, family. You're not, you haven't got a pre-match build-up. Even the days of, oh, lads, let's go to the pub and watch the match. That's a thing of the past now. People have just lost so much interest. And watching it yesterday, you know, if you go back to the lineup, you could arguably say that apart from the goalkeeper, that was the strongest possible lineup. You know, the majority of fans would probably go with that lineup, you know. Um question over Shelby or uh Hayden, much of a muchness in ways, but one thing I did notice though is Hayden was blown out of his arse after five minutes. And that's one thing I noticed when he was trying to run back. And I thought, something's not right here. The fitness levels were so, so different. We looked as if it was an effort. Everything we were doing was um, was an effort. Um, fit, fitness is clearly an issue, you know. Um, because how how can how can a, a team who... Jump one thing from another here, but you, you, look at, you look at Leeds, you look at Villa. They've passed us now. They've passed us, they're progressing, they've got the right managers with the right attitudes, spending money. They've lost Grealish, but they've bought players. They're wanting to get better. And I think it's easy for people to sit on the end of Twitter and turn around and say, hysteria after two games. But as you rightly say, it's not. This is two full years now of Steve Bruce. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed at all. You've, you've got, we just don't seem to, be, seem to be up for any fight. You know, and like you say, when 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 one went down, um, it was it was game over. It was game over. And the, the, the only positive, if if and this is me just clinging on for dear life, yeah. The only positive for me out of yesterday was that Wilson looked like he would run through a, a, a brick wall in Newcastle. He was up for the fight. Uh, Mings was all over him, and ridiculously he got booked when they were both doing exactly the same thing. But he looked like he was up for it. He was giving the referee verbals. He needs to be careful because another referee may have sent them off after the decision went against us in uh, for the for the for the penalty um, for his penalty. But no, I mean, we, we called it the other night, Norman, didn't we? We mentioned Villas players, you know, Ings, Mings, Young, McGinn. Uh, all of them stepped up. All of them had good games, and you couldn't say any of our players turned up yesterday. No, well said, well said, mate. And um, I, I think it's a brilliant point on um, on Wilson. That was a po- it, like 
player trying his best for your team shouldn't be seen as a positive, but he stood out in that respect. I thought Willock's debut wasn't a disaster. The I think both balls for Wilson, both the one-on-one chance and the uh, penalty, non-penalty, were, were nice flighted balls from Joe Willock. Um, might talk, talk a bit later, but back to the fitness point. First 25 minutes, that game was reasonably even. First 25 minutes against West Ham, Newcastle are the better side. In both games, you've seen such an alarm and drop-off, such an alarm and drop-off. You look look at Newcastle's midfield against West Ham, first half v second half. It was men against boys in the second half, and it was the same yesterday. That You know, you've got Almiron on there, you've got Willock, then you had Hayden, and then Longstaff came on. We just couldn't get the ball, we can't get the ball in, it, in, in fitness. If, you go, if you're going to try and play with, like, maximum most weeks i'd say 40 percent for probably 35 percent of the ball you're gonna have to be one of the fittest teams in the league and is there anyone listening or watching or watching this who thinks newcastle united are conditioned to be one of the fittest teams in the league so already there we've got a massive issue when we're two games in um there was a villa fan replied to me because i actually thought one of the most steve bruce-esque things about this performance is that the other team didn't have to play well to win they just played they just turned up played all right and won don't think any Villa fans will recommend that. And in fact, Villa, Villa Park was very quiet in the first half for, for the first game back. Very, very quiet, in, in fact, because Newcastle, they didn't control the game, but they certainly weren't outclassed in the first half. Listen, nothing happened. We had one chance, Willock, ball across the box that there was no one there for. But the, the goalkeeper, neither goalkeeper in the first half had to make a save. Um but the Villa fan come back to me on Twitter and said that was their team without Watkins, Bailey, Triori and Samson who, according to this lad, will all start. So, according to this Villa fan, it was them missing four, four first-team players. Um, and, you know, the, again, I'll come back to it. I may as well talk about it now. Bruce and lockdown football seemed to go hand-in-hand. Hand. He could come out after defeats. He could come out at losing 2-0 at Man City without literally giving them a game and say he was delighted with the performance. He could come out after these defeats and say stuff that had no bearing on reality, but there was no comeback because uh, journalists are in Zoom conferences when they still are this season, which I find very strange, but, you know, it's not my world. I don't know. Um, and, you know, you, it's very hard to get a follow-up question in and stuff like that. Craig Hope remains banned. though He was he was allowed to ask questions because it was asked, was asked, it was asked really yesterday, but I think I think Bruce just ignored him. Um so, so, so Bruce could do that, but those days are over. So, so to see him, and I maybe I'm wrong here, Norman, because I'm keen to get you in on this. But the fact that I was at that game, and I know Mark, you, you, you have come to the same conclusions we have, and I'm going to imagine most of the people listening come to the same conclusion about that performance and the issues it raises. But I just feel like I was there, saw it with my own two eyes, and then for Bruce to come out and blame decisions again, correct decisions. Uh, and, and say that he was pleased with aspects of the performance. Like I, I'm a little, I'm, I'm not a little bit insulted. I am insulted. You know how much you know. Ask not everyone who's gone to Villa away has, has stayed in a hotel and done what me and Norman have done because we wanted to have a you know a really good drink and a good day and that kind of thing. And we met up with some some good people as well. Um, but but even if you you know if you've travelled down to Newcastle for that and you've paid well over a hundred quid for the day at least. And you've got the manager standing there at full time, not thinking fucking hell, that was an absolute disaster. How the fuck have we put that performance out again? I thought these days were behind where 
but stood there blaming decisions, like decisions that technology has proved to be correct. Like, and then and then saying there were aspects of the performance that pleased him. Norman, how how did that make you feel, mate? <laughs> well, this is the first I've actually heard of what he really said because I do tend to try my hardest, even though I shouldn't because I'm work, I'm you know I'm working on a podcast. Ignore Steve Bruce's patter, <laughs> but it's uh, sometimes sometimes it takes me like seventy two hours to like, to to read it because I just need to. I need to just chill first, but um, you're right. Me, what I want, I want a manager who, um, at the end of a game like that, says something along the lines of, "I just want to apologise to the fans. That was terrible. It wasn't good enough. Totally unacceptable. That something along those lines. I don't want a personal apology. Um, I don't want Steve knocking on my door with, um, you know, bearing gifts, bearing gifts, and saying, "Norm, come on, let me talk you through this." But it would be nice if he did acknowledge the fact that the fans have. Seen something that just is is unacceptable. It was it was it was, un, it was unacceptable, as you say. Um, and the well, that aspect of what he was saying, the fact that he's saying it's unlucky. Like the thing is, it, it's not unlucky because like what what would have been is if the if the penalty had been given and um, their penalty hadn't been given. So if we had got the pen and they hadn't got the pen, it would have been lucky because they would have both been the incorrect decisions. So that would have been lucky, right? It wasn't unlucky that the correct decisions were made. It's just it's just unfortunate that VAR exists, right? Because it might it, it might have been different. But that's to say it was unlucky is just well it's it's just absolutely utterly, utterly incorrect. Um and I think Bruce, it's almost like you mentioned there on social media, you're getting people, you know, alluding to um hysteria, a word that I that I detest, but people using it and saying it's an overreaction. How how can it be an overreaction when all you're doing is, is commenting on what you're seeing? Like the thing is, if you're watching a match and there's nothing at all there to comment on, positive, and all you're doing is you're just reporting on what you saw, you're just offering an opinion on what you saw, you're, you're kind of seeing it how it was terrible. How is that hysterical? It's just it's just the fact that you're seeing with your own eyes, right? There's nothing, there's no hysteria to it. It was just a bad performance that you're seeing was a bad performance. Um, so so Bruce, I think this season. You mentioned lockdown then and pretty much being able to say what he wants without any kind of lashback from um, fans. That's not going to happen this season. You think about it, right? If we play South, play in Southampton at the weekend, if it's a poor performance, if, we go, if we're going to the Cup to Burnley, Southampton's a bad performance. Regardless of the result, it's just a bad performance. And Bruce comes out and says something similar. That's going to get more people's backs up. And it, in this three or four or five games down the line, if this pattern is the same, all of a sudden that's going to translate into open aggression in the ground. And Yesterday was the first time in a stadium where Bruce has been manager that I've heard fans singing an anti-Bruce song. It was very brief. It was very quick. It was only a couple hundred people, but it was deeply unpleasant. It was comparing him to Steve McLaren, and it was the first anti-Bruce song I've, I've heard. So the more he comments that we've been unlucky because of correct decisions going against her, and the fact that we've played well when we clearly haven't, it's he's making a rod for his own back. He really is. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Just a quick point on hysteria. I, I get it. I get it to a certain extent because if you remember last season, we ended the, the season with, was it five wins in the last nine games after that Brighton game? The, the transformation was was overnight. Um, well, it was in fantastic form. Um, one of my mates said to me after the South, after the West Ham game, sorry, last week, he said, uh, I think you've been over the top. Um, that second half wasn't too bad. G- give it six games. So, fair enough. Respect his opinion. But what happens after the six games if we're bottom three, we're out of a cup? On the other side, though, we could win the next four games. And be through the next round of the cup. So it's it I get it to a certain extent, but last season's last season now. And as as you've mentioned on your um on your match reaction last night, you know, this isn't this isn't lockdown football, is it? It's a it's a great say it's not. People have players have raised their game and Newcastle seem to be that far behind. I, I can see nothing but um a horrible season yet again. Under this manager, under these coaches, I'm not just blaming Bruce. Under these coaches, and under ultimately under this uh, under this owner, where the, the, the club is, you know, existent to exist, but also set up to be sold. There's just nothing to look forward to, and you know, I'll be going to the next two games. I'm looking forward to them because I've still got that buzz of going back to the games. But if if yesterday is the benchmark of what's going to happen for the majority of this season, then I. I can't see myself renewing in January. It's mad, isn't it? Because um, I'm already quite excited about going to Wolves, but I think it's just because it means I get another day on the drink in Birmingham. Um, but the, uh, I think one of the worrying things for me is the fact that these last two games where we have been two goals behind, and even yesterday, right, we're, we're behind at half-time yesterday. Where's the inspiration? Where Where is it? Like Regardless of, regardless of what of our limitations Bruce may have as a tactician, and this isn't me saying he's got limitations as a tactician, right? I'm not, I'm not you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that telling the world he's a terrible manager with no tactics. I'm not doing that. Um, but um, if you're not necessarily a tactical manager, right, a cerebral manager, then what are you offering? Are you offering the kind of, you know, the, the hairdryer treatment in halftime, for example, when the team's listless? Or are you giving a kind of Churchillian type war speech? You know, like what, what, what kind of manager are you? And that's the worrying thing for me is, we had like none of it yesterday. Where the players didn't come out for the second half, fired up. You know, the one nil down. They've conceded in injury time in the first half to a goal that could have been avoided, but was an outstanding finish by Ainsley. No two ways about it. Where's the fire in the belly when the players are coming out? That's not on the players. It's very difficult. The, yeah, the other players do. You know, they do have a, like a responsibility more than themselves to a certain extent. But that's what the manager's there for, right? The manager is there to get those players sent out after half time. And for the first ten minutes of the second half, when you're a goal behind, to really go and hell for leather. And we didn't, and we went two 0 down to a you know a penalty as as we say it could have been could have gone one way or the other, and there was no even reaction to that. You know, sometimes in a bad a bad decision comes against you, and there's a reaction right. There's a fury there, and that fury kind of transmits itself into players putting in harder tackles, running a bit harder, being a bit more aggressive. That even that didn't happen. It was almost like it happened. It was accepted. There was no kind of. There was no, there was anger, but there wasn't anger that was used. There wasn't like an energetic anger that could be used. Like, you know, when a player 
a player launches through, another player picks up a yellow card, and the crowd gets up. There was none of that. Like the the team didn't offer anything to get us up as fans. And I think to myself, well, surely that motivating element has to come from the manager, and it, and it just didn't. And again, this this is another, I think, recurring theme throughout Bruce's time at Newcastle is the players never seem to be fired up when they come out after half time by um, what's been said in the dressing room, and, it, and it's just another another aspect that that I find disconcerting. What, what I find worrying as well is just going back quickly on the hysteria point is, I haven't worked this out, by the way, good, the good old BBC had this stat up, but we've got the third most defeats um, in Premier League fixtures this calendar year. Only Burnley and Southampton have uh, lost more. So that, that's a concern. That's a huge concern. Um, when you look at what Norman said there about um, motivation or impact players, well, I haven't got any on the bench. Only, only really, could you say... Fraser's got the potential to change a game, but the jury's still out on him, and Bruce clearly doesn't fancy him. I don't know what's going on with Dwight Gale, but how is Joe Linton coming on to potentially score goals when you've got a goal scorer, albeit he's probably a, a championship stroke, lower hot, uh, Premier League side uh, striker, but he scores goals when he gets the opportunities. Um, there's something clearly not right there. And finally, just a quick point on the uh, the quotes. I mean, again, I, I, I promised myself I wouldn't go in too hard on Steve Bruce because I'm, I'm not in the bigger picture now, Ashley. Um, but how can you have one manager, Dean Smith, saying after the game, it was an OK performance, but it was a better result? As if to say, well, 2-0 is probably flattered away in a way uh, because we didn't play that well. And then, you, as, as Alex said before, and you've got, you've got Steve Bruce coming out with big decisions went against us and it's not going for us, you know, and big decisions about VAR. And it's, it's just a little bit like, hold your hands up, go back to the drawing board. We'll go, we'll go again on Wednesday. Just just don't pull the wool over our eyes, Steve, you know what I mean? Well, you know, I shouldn't be comparing Bruce to some of the great managers of Newcastle's recent history, but I remember when Newcastle lost 2-0 away to Charlton in like the 99-2000 season, I think, or the, I think it was that season. And Robson came out at the end of the game. We only lost 2-0. We'd had a couple of chances in the game, but we were very poor, very poor. And Robson said, you know, he did what you said, Norman. He said, I think he might have said, I feel sick to my stomach for those away fans to come and not even see us compete. And that's the issue. Compete. Was it Pardew was Charlton? Nah, it was Kerberstreet's man. Pardew wasn't a manager. No, no. Oh, no, Pardew was years later. I want you to beat people two didn't you? Yeah, I God, I'm, I'm, I'm losing, I'm losing decades. Lockdowns like um, distracted my brain from the concept of time. So yeah, um, Pardew was probably playing for them. Let's say that. <laughs> but it, it's like, and, and you know, I don't need Steve Bruce to take, you know, leaves out of Bobby Robson's book. I think he, he he would be well advised to do so for a lot of reasons. But it's like this VAR thing. Like I just, I didn't, you know, I said on the podcast last week, if he's listened or watched that, I just didn't, I did not and do not understand how we could play so poorly in the second half, concede a penalty, which was, which was probably wrong, but was, the penalty was saved. And then the manager still talk about it after the game, like this big contentious thing. The drum all the cells handled the ball in the box. Like What do you want? What a, what what happens if you handle the ball in the box? I mean, Steve Bruce is saying he's got to lift his arm to lift his leg. It's like, no, like if that was us, I have to try and be objective. If that was us, you'd be screaming for it. And Bruce is saying, no one in the whole stadium knew it was a penalty. I thought, fucking hell, we got away with one there. 
although Christ has that hit his own, we obviously were in the upper tier of the away end, quite far away from it, but we thought far. And then and then the penalty, you know, it was it would have been a definite penalty. Um, it's almost like I think I said this on the Match Day podcast for parents, it's almost like the keeper was bored. He he comes out and does that because he's literally had nothing to do all game. He hasn't even had like take goal kicks because we just didn't put any pressure on them whatsoever. But ultimately, I hate VAR and I hate that offside rule. But it is the rule. Like we can, you know, the the time for kicking, kicking and screaming, Steve, was pre-season when you deal with the Premier League and you deal with the refs for the last was a third season it's been here now. Like that's the time for trying to influence things, not coming out after a game saying they got the decisions. It's almost like, you know, you could, you could give away four pens in a game, four cast iron pens and say the opposition got the decisions because we fouled their players in the box. It's the, it's the same thing. What I would, what I'm far more concerned about, and it touches on what you said, Mark, and it's interesting that your mate was saying we did all right against West Ham. I disagree with them. I disagree with anyone who says that the first half was all right, played, played all right, 2-1 up. Second half, disaster, complete disaster. Three unanswered goals in 11 minutes at this level is a disaster. Um, and then what come, came next, and that, that's what a lot of fans are for you, a lot of people I speak to, a lot of stuff on social media, say, all right, West Ham, fucking fair play, Miguel Antonio, crack and finish, what have we got? What have we got to do about this? Oh, we've gotten out. Like you correctly say, Mark, Dwight Gale scores two cracking goals, comes on, Joe Linton was shite against Norwich in pre-season, no surprise, because that's what he is. Um, and then Dwight Gale comes on and scores two great finishes. Now, you might be listening to this or watching the thing of fucking Dwight Gale, who cares? Yeah, but then... if you. <laughs> You've got the kids scoring two goals and, and, and really nice finishes, and then we need a goal, and you bring on Joe Linton. It's like, I, I'll, I'll tell you the one thing I know Joe Linton won't get you when you need it. It's a goal. From everything I've seen him do for Newcastle. Norman made the point to me yesterday in the stand. He, he cannot even control a ball, man. He came on yesterday, and the first two times the ball came to him, he, he, he conceded possession immediately. It's like, like what what's going on here? But in terms of the... The wider tactical point, and why I think you know, you might be listening to this, and you might think, Oh, well, if we beat Southampton, then we're good to Man United, and Wolves have lost their first two games. You, you never know, you've got this, Leeds will come, and they haven't had a great start. But we might beat Southampton, I hope we do beat Southampton. Obviously, the problem, the problem we've got is all of the bullshit of the last two years, and particularly this horror, awful part of last season that we had, is nothing is changing tactically. I talked a lot season about the number of players Bruce, Bruce used week after week. It's unprecedented. Even good teams who had lots more fixtures than us didn't change their teams as often as Steve Bruce did, either for injury or just enforced changes for playing badly. And I'll, I'll compare you from the first week to the second week. He makes a massive call in the first week not to play Jamal Lascelles. Now, had a full pre-season. I think he played in every single pre-season game. And for me, in pre-season, Bruce has gone We're playing Fernandes as the middle of the back three. That's what he's done in almost every fixture. I think apart from maybe the first game at York, Fernandez played in the middle of the back three and he played Emil Kraft on the right-hand side. Now, after last week in the absolute car crash defending, already Bruce has changed to his back three. Now, I back those changes. I thought Fabian Schaar a canny game yesterday. He did, he did some of the things that you would need one of our defenders to do and he hit a couple of cross-field balls. He brought the ball out. It didn't always go well, but at least it was someone trying to get things going. So I can't sit here and hammer Steve Bruce for making the decisions that he's got to make. But wh- why on earth weren't they playing in the previous week? How does how does that make Kieran Clark and Emil Kraft feel to think, fucking hell, I've got I've done well in preseason here, I've got me chance, I'm out the team. And is it that's the concern that week by week you start seeing these, you know, he's got his he's got his regulars, done he? He's got Shelby will always get a game if it always get a game. 
Obviously, Maximan and Wilson will always get a game. Matt Ritchie seemingly will always get a game. And Murphy doesn't like Mankio Murphy's, but the rest of them, it seems to be open season. Like, that's the concern. So what, why are we making these changes already? John Joe Shelby, you could say, all right, he's injured, his other calf's gone. Well, he missed the whole of preseason. He came on for 45 minutes against Norwich. Was it the right idea to start him last week? After 45 minutes of football? Was that the right? Because maybe it was. I'm not a sports scientist, but I, I, <laughs> I have recollections of Steve Bruce bringing players too quickly after injury and them getting injured again. And it's a different injury this time. But but why why does it keep happening to Newcastle players under Steve Bruce? Um, then you've got the the in-game management, or lack of, the last two fixtures, lads, the last two fixtures, first two fixtures of the season, we started with the back five and we've finished with a back four. What's going on? What What's all that about? Like, do you, do you see, is that what Premier League teams do, is it? Is it do, they, do they play about three formations each game? It doesn't make any sense. You know, you, you get these things. And I, I'm pleased we went with back four yesterday. We did it far too late. We did it far too late against West Ham. But fucking hell, if you're if you're a player that you've got to be thinking what's coming next. Norman, you I'll bring you on in the substitutions, mate, because we've talked a little bit about Joe Linton, but there's one substitution in particular that you want uh you want to discuss, so I'll let you take it away. Ryan Fraser, bring him on in the 90th minute. What what is the logic or the point? What's the point in bringing on an international footballer who is really talented, right? We know Ryan Fraser's got talent, he's proven it, right? And I think what it made me think was. Because we were, we discussed it. We discussed the substitution in the stadium. But both said, "Well, this is just illogical, right? What, what kind of messages they give Ryan to, uh, Ryan Fraser? May uh, I go on, Ryan? Get yourself on for two minutes. We're two 0 doom. We're playing terrible. See what you can do in two minutes." Um, it it was really just ill thought out, and it also got me thinking. Bruce signed Fraser, and I just can't understand why. Now I can't understand why because the lad just hasn't had an actual opportunity. He really hasn't. He hasn't. He's really not been played in his proper position probably more than two occasions. Um, and when we're 2-0 down and we aren't managing to get any kind of foothold in the game, West Ham last week, for example, Villa yesterday, why isn't Ryan Fraser coming on like 30 minutes to go? Why isn't Dwight Gale and Ryan, why aren't Dwight Gale and Ryan Fraser coming on at the same time? Like if you, if you struggle to change a game through kind of Tactical switches, right, with the players on the pitch. You know, you you see managers in the Premier League, they'll, they'll see the game, they're going, right, I need to do something, I need to do it now. And it's about moving players around, slightly switching the system. And I, and I like the, the manager knowing that the players can adapt to it because it's something like, that they've worked like on, right? Like Southampton. Like Southampton did today, right? So what you're probably looking at is Hassan Hull probably thinks, right, I've got this bunch of players, limited bunch of players. What I'm going to do is we're going to have four or five or six different systems that we can play and we work on them. And you actually get the impression that. Because Bruce got some decent results with five at the back last season, that's all we do. We just in training, we just do that, we just do that. That's how we work on nothing else. And then when that fails, we'll go four at the back. And then if we get a win, we'll do that for as long as we possibly can. It's, it, and it's almost like these, like the switch to four on the pitch yesterday and against West Ham. It's almost like, yes, it was done as a as a means of trying to change the game, but the players haven't worked on it on the training ground. They've only just worked on that one formation. So when the change comes. It's totally unfamiliar, right? I mean, you know, memory obviously kicks in, but what I mean is it, it hasn't been worked on. So Ryan Fraser's coming on in a 4 4 for two minutes, by the way, as I say, with a, a four at the back, a kind of loose 4 4 2 formation. And he's expected to, to, to do what? Like to do what? In playing in a formation that hasn't been clearly doesn't look like it's been trained on, but also in two minutes. And it just makes you think, like, I, I really 
don't understand. And, and, and as I say, sorry, well, if you're not really, if, if you can't make the kind of tactical changes by tweaking the systems because you've got four or five systems on the gun and the players know them, then you've got to get your substitutions right. You've got to utilize your subs a bit like 20 years ago, right? You know, Newcastle played 4 4 2. Things weren't going well. Robson would bring on, like, he'd bring on three players. He'd bring on Lua Lua, Shul Amiobi, and someone else to just bang, change the dynamic of the game. But that's like with 25, 30 minutes to go. Paul, um, Paul, you God, there's a Friday slip. Bruce, um, same again, in it? Rinse and repeat. Um, Bruce brings on, like, Ryan Fraser into an unfamiliar system with two minutes left. And he doesn't even give Gale a snip. He brings on Joe Linton for Willock, I think. No, no. Fraser came on for Willock. Joe Linton came on for Fernandez. Um, and it's like, well, what's he going to do? What is he going to do? Um, so that, that, that to me, just... It, I, I can't understand it, lads. Help me out here. I can't understand the, the, the kind of... The, the rationale. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. For, for me, I think last season there was rumours of dressing room problems. Um and I'm not going to name names, but I've been told that the problems are still there. And that may explain why Fraser's not getting any game time. Now, the way I look at it is, is the jury is still out on Fraser. Clearly, it's still out on him. But ultimately, if you're going to pick him, you've got to play him in his natural position. But this goes back to what we've discussed before. Bruce has got this habit of playing players out of that positions. Only He's the only one responsible for that. But then again, you, you look at the bench, you look at um, the coaches, you're looking for inspiration. I'm sorry, but you, look, when you look at Steve Agnew and Steve Clemens, they don't fill me with confidence that they've got any input in actually what's going on. What do they actually do? Do you know what I mean? What, what are they there for? You know, we, we had a podcast with uh, Luke Edwards. I think it was just after we beat Palace away 2-0 last season. Great timing as always for Luke. But he turned around that night and he said, maybe Bruce needs to look at his coaching staff. Now, was he alluding to the fact that he'll bring someone in? But at the time, I was sort of taking that as, does he need to get rid of them and, and trade them in for people who can actually do something to influence? Because, if, as I said earlier, if this is going to be the way we, we, we're going to play this season, Bruce's, Bruce's legacy is always going to be playing players out of positions, playing shocking football, um, and basically coming up with excuses. And it's born. Well, me and Norman were, were, were talking after the, the game yesterday about the fact that we can only think of Burnley away last season as an away game that we've gone behind under them in the league and won. And that's, that's 
first goal wins. Do you know what I mean? If you're playing against Newcastle, more often than not, home and away, but particularly away, first goal wins. And that 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 is a that is a tactical issue. Well, you could argue it's a mental issue as well. But that's, you know, I think judging on what we saw yesterday in terms of body language, in terms of um, willingness, like Norman says, we didn't see anyone fired up after half time. We didn't see anyone getting into the Villa players or winning back possession and storming up the pitch or anyone thinking you know what, I'm going to try and influence this game myself, I'm going to grab it. We just saw more of the same. and You, you do wonder what's going on at half-time. Now, yesterday wasn't the kind of typical thing, because Newcastle quite a lot of the ball yesterday, because Villa were, were just happy to let us pass around the back. The kind of More possession, mate. We had more possession yeah. than Villa, which is um, spectacular. And this is the thing, like I said before, it's not like Villa battered work. It's not like we saw Villa, we're like, oh, fucking hell, these are a good team. And, you know, yes, they were missing players, but certainly I don't think they'll do anything this season. And that's the concern. We we did the preview podcast and we've talked on Patreon and stuff like that. What can we do this season? Well, from from what I've seen so far, very little. Very little this season. I mean, Bruce said we'll, we'll finish top of a mini league, which didn't include Villa or um, Leeds, who were both promoted to the Premier League after Newcastle. Um, Villa, Villa looked like a team playing... A cup tie yesterday that well, they weren't really asked about that the new ones that scored the game would be over and they just conserved their energy for for, for bigger games to come and that, that's the question that I'm, I, this is what I, I hate posing these questions but I honestly can't get away from the fact if we had been newly promoted yesterday could, would we you know would we have put in any worse a performance if just think of a team in the championship now if Barnsley came up next season and put in that performance, would you be surprised? I wouldn't. I'd think newly promoted team that don't have the quality, they're happy to get in, get out 2-0 and keep the morale together. If if fucking, you know, pick a, pick a team from the, from League One or even League Two, if Carlisle United went to Aston Villa in the League Cup and put in that performance, didn't get humiliated, yeah, they didn't create any chances, didn't force the keeper into a save, but they didn't get humiliated, the manager would be, would be stood there at the end of the game saying he was pleased. And yet we're in the Premier League Fifth season in the Premier League in a row, just just signed one of the most exciting English talents in in the you know the last twenty years in my opinion in in Willock in terms of his age and seven seven goals seven games in a row scoring, and he's come in yesterday, and it's like we're a newly promoted side or a we're a side away in a cup tie who just want to get in get out and not lose any face that that's how it feels and it's like I'm the same as you Norman. I'm really looking for. I might do Man United. I'm still working it out whether I'll do that or not. But but I'll definitely do Wolves. I think. Um, but literally, the football is not part of that motivation whatsoever. And I wanted to talk a little about what you thought, Norman, of the away end yesterday, because I've seen I've seen some criticism, to be honest with you, um, from people that I know and respect. It's it's a hard one for me because it's so bad on the pitch. It's so bad, particularly in the second half. Like you know, I've heard the argument. The away fans needed to get behind the team to make sure that the, you know, the team were up against it. But it's like it's 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 not even like it was back to the wall defending. It wasn't. It was Villa could probably score again if they wanted to, but they know they don't need to score. Like how how do you think you can vocally affect that? That's what I felt in the second half. And there was a lot of daft songs. There was a lot of young lads there because it was the first you know it's the first away game, proper away game in a long long time. But there were songs about Adam Johnson. You know what I mean? That that that's no good. Like. 
little things like that do annoy me, but they are they are just little things. So I don't want to be hypercritical of three thousand people because because of stuff like that, you know. But Norman, how did you say it, mate? Truthfully, mate, I didn't really take much notice of, of the UN, and even though I was part of it, I think I was more focused on on the pit. What was happening on the pitch? I kind of it, it didn't necessarily register. Um, one thing I'll see a positive is that um, when the players took the knee, they didn't hear any booing. In fact, all I heard was applause, and that was really, really good um, to, to hear. Um, the songs, you're right, there were some absolutely shocking songs, but as I say, there was an anti Bruce song. Um, no, I'm saying that's a positive, but uh, it, it the, the were occasions when singing, singing was going on. In fact, I, def I definitely end up singing it for myself, but ultimately, mate, it's too weird. It's too weird, right? Um, there isn't. You can't just you you can't engender like hope and optimism from nothing. You can't just you know you can't just look at it and go, all right, the lads are on the pitch. All of a sudden, I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna inspire them. Like they've got to give you something back. It's as I say, the two-way process, and there was nothing unfortunately on the pitch. I mean, the Wilson chance was great, but ultimately, if he'd scored, he probably wouldn't given offside, and I, I think that's harsh to say. But um, I think there was was a hot offside or or possibly for a foul. Um, there was you know th that might have happened, but. It was a moment. It was, it was a good moment. We started singing when it happened, um, but I, it, it, it was flat. I mean, it was, it was relatively flat. But again, that's just reflective of the performance on the pitch. It's very difficult to to be really loud and boisterous and really positive when what you're seeing in front of you doesn't actually give you anything. And to I suppose for for fans to say it's up for other fans to say it's up to the fans to inspire the players. I don't think that's how it works. I think we can be, be part of the process. But the players themselves have to get inspiration from from the fellow teammates and from the, the coach and staff and the manager. So um, now well, I wouldn't be hypercritical at the end. It wasn't wasn't brilliant, but it, as I say, it was just reflective of what was happening on the pitch. In my opinion, I think um, from a, an armchair supporter's point of view, you couldn't you couldn't you couldn't really hear much yesterday. And normally on TV, especially for that park. You, you, you can hear the um, the away support. You, you you did hear the uh, Adam Johnson song. You did hear the odd chant, but it didn't seem to be as supportive as what you would expect it to be. Um, and maybe the the apathy words probably overused now. But if it's there, perhaps the, the perhaps the fans have just thought, you know what, it is all about the day out now and seeing me mates. This is what we've got. To, what we're paying essentially to, an extra thirty quid or whatever. Then your your coach or train. In hotel to basically get pissed with your mates. That's that's essentially what it's all about. I mean, David Kelly was there yesterday. The pictures were doing the round. The videos doing the round. For me, he would probably think that the support is unrecognisable from when he was at the club thirty years ago because the Newcastle support used to all be out about singing about Newcastle. It was Newcastle. It was Geordies. It was Blaine Races. Yes, there were songs about Sunderland, but there were songs that meant something. Um, Sunderland aren't getting battered everywhere they go because they've won four games out of five this season. They're probably going to go up. Um, the song choices just aren't there anymore. And yes, I'm I'm a, I'm a different generation. People may go, oh, you boring bastard. Well, who are you to say something you weren't even there? Brilliant. I'll take that on the chin. Not a problem. But that's always been my bugbear with the support away from home for the, probably the last 10 years. It's just progressively got worse and the songs about Newcastle, the culture, the history, players, it just doesn't seem to be there anymore. And for David Kelly to be there, that was probably the highlight of many away supporters' day, to be honest, because uh, he was getting songs hung on him on the concourse. So so happy happy days on that. But yeah, it just it just didn't come across a typical Newcastle on the telly away support, lads. 
gutted got I'm gutted I didn't get to meet David Kelly because you know he's one of my all-time Newcastle heroes. Um, devastated in fact. In fact, that's just made the weekend worse. Worse. <laughs> um, no, uh, it was a brilliant weekend. It was a brilliant weekend apart from the football. But um, look, the other thing I would say, and Mark, I agree with you in terms of the songs. I completely agree. I mean, the Adam Johnson song is just, it's just horrific and embarrassing to be honest. Um, the normally what happens is if the if the home fans, you know, they they supposed singing end or making noise. There's a there's a bit of like two way right, and, and you're kind of singing louder because you're you're in a minority to try and drown out the home fans. Like, but Villa gave nothing. Their fans gave nothing yesterday for the first forty five minutes, and then they scored and it picked up. But then they scored, and by them scoring, it just probably made us think, well, we're done, aren't we? So like, there's a there's a, there's a number of factors as to why that away end wasn't particularly brilliant. Um, and I think one of them is the fact that the Villa fans were so quiet, but also the, the other one is that what we were seeing on the pitch was just, it wasn't very inspirational. You know, I mean, I, I sang probably as much as I normally do, um, but at the same time, I didn't necessarily feel like I was singing with much gusto because what I was seeing wasn't kind of giving me that that inspiration, really. No, I think I think they're really good points. What What's interesting, Mark, this is definitely a, a different podcast we should do, with a few different voices, perhaps, is like, yeah, that last 10 years, it's almost like there aren't any cult heroes anymore. There isn't anyone, any player. Like, who did we have who had a great song? Then my bar, he was, he was here and he was gone within 18 months. Do you, like, so, so you, you, Kabai was here a couple of years and then he wanted to be away. Papi Cisse was here and then he, then he got injured and then he got worse and then he was away. Colacini was here and then he got, you know, they're not, these aren't cult heroes. And the fact that they probably are, you know, to some fans who still sing them, it's like, you know, if you look at when you were younger, Mark, and you were younger, Norman, in, in, in the Keegan era, there was a lot to be proud of about supporting Newcastle. Now, we've only got the support. That's that's lit, that's that's it. Do you know what I mean? That's it. It's like I look at um, I look at Brighton yesterday. I look at Palace yesterday. A lot of empty seats, and Brighton and Pat, you know, Palace. Um, yeah, you know, different things happening, but they've brought in a manager who wants to play good football. Brighton, they finished below us next season, but God, they play football, they create chances. They've had a great start of the season, and we won't sell out against Southampton or any, unless actually sells the club in the next uh, six days, which are unlikely. Is I'll say that. Um, you know, so I'm not saying it's all. Oh, look at us, we, but but we're still we're still getting fifty thousand against West Ham, despite everyone who's walked away, despite everything that's happened. And that's all we've got to be proud of. And it's very hard to instigate a kind of subculture around that because it's it's not really worth singing about, is it? It's not really worth hanging your hat on. And I, honestly, I, I look at some of these these youngins who go these days who, who've only ever known Ashley. And it's like, I was speaking to a lad last week and he's talking, oh, you were there at the Sunderland game, the, the 1-0, Ryan Taylor over the wall. And I was like, you know what? I was, mate, but I, I wouldn't. And it was a good day. But I wouldn't put it in me, me top ten days watching Newcastle. And to him, this was like the game. This was the the game he wished he wished he was at. And there's lots of conversations I've had like, well, people when they you know if they if they listen to podcasts, they come and say, you know, have a quick chat with them, and we'll talk about these things. I do I do find the younger generation have, have just had so little, so little to kind of to get behind. And I, I, I said this last or a couple of years ago that at least a player like Alison Maximan is the type of player that kids want to have on the wall. Callum Wilson, you'd argue. Joe Willock will be like that. But then St. Maximan, 
So Max Mann comes and he actually plays class. He's this winger. He's tried defensively, but he's a great winger. He gets forward. He skins players. He creates chances. So Bruce says we're going to play him through the middle of the pitch. And most games he won't be able to get the ball. Uh, and against West Ham, he'll actually have to drop behind his midfielders to pick the ball up from the back four. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's just like anything positive that there is about the club actually gets sucked. <laughs> the positivity just gets sucked out of it. So it, it is an interesting one. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see how, how away ends going. I think, I might be wrong, Norman, I think that the anti-Bruce song that was gathering pace was just before the penalty, non-penalty. And that that kind of stopped it dead there. But it was there. And Mark's just put in our chat here that we've got what was the reaction at full time? And it was it was loud booze. Now, how many how many away games have, have, have we been to between when people watching and listening to this? I've seen Newcastle get beat countless times away from home and play a shite. Not just under Steve Bruce. Very, very rarely is there booze from the away end. That there was a lot of booze yesterday at the at, at full time. And th- those booze will mutate into something much louder and more aggressive if we see more of these kind of performances, Mark. It's a, it's a huge week. We, we know that. The Cup games have happened. Saturday, absolutely huge. And then booze could turn into toxicity. It could be poisonous in, in Bruce. Then he's going to get all his, his defendants out. Yes, but, but just quickly going back to atmospheres, I caught up with Michael Mannion uh, from the Supporters Trust earlier. We were catching up on a few things and we are talking yet again we'll come back to what we love and that's the actual football the atmospheres and we were talking about old old games we started going to away games around at the same time and we touch i've mentioned it so many times that game at derby in 1992 three players sent off got beat 4-1 but the players put a shift in the supporters were absolutely incredible won the brink of third division football but their songs that day were all about newcastle and this is the difference it's it's again it's a, it's a podcast for another time but it's 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 the generation it's also the way the premier leagues you know it's bastardized itself if that's the right word it's just it's just a horrible money making thing now and unfortunately supporters will never have what we had and i feel sad for them i really really do the closest thing they may get back to something like that would be as you said before if we've got something to really shout shout about about the players about a manager and something we can really believe in and but unfortunately you, you mentioned the takeover word or ask yourself in the club it's only ever going to happen when he's gone so it is what it is at the moment, we've got to we've just got to accept it or, or move on, and that means that yes, we're getting fifty thousand, but we're getting more and more people who aren't from who I would say, and I don't mean to sound derogatory here, old school supporters who were brought up seventies, eighties, nineties, going through the shite to to mini success to shite again, but the, the hardcore support just isn't there anymore, and these new people coming in, good luck to them. But I don't know. Again, we'll probably do a hundred podcasts on, on on talking about old players' songs and, and trying to educate people in a way to make them realise that singing "Sweet Caroline" at the end of the match isn't what going to support Newcastle is about, in my opinion. Yeah, that was a weird one. I was I couldn't wait to get out of Villa Park. But you know, just to stick up for those people a bit, I suppose the Newcastle fans singing "Sweet Caroline" yesterday at the end of the match um, with the Villa fans, it's like. May as well do something positive and fun because it's been so fucking shite for the last 90 minutes. Just I agree with you, Mark. Just to come back quickly, I didn't even plan to talk about this in the pod, so I'm teasing going into it. The championship season under Rafa, and even the championship season under Hooten, it's like those seasons were like regenerative for, for the home support as well and the away support because you're winning football matches and you're scoring goals. And those like cult 
cult hero and subculture type things that I'm talking about, they happen when you win games of football and you play well. And Norman put a great point in our chat here that actually when Rafa Benitez was here, they all were, you know, the songs about him were brilliant. We're Newcastle and we're going to win the league. Um, you know, I remember away games in the championship season. You needed 60 points to go to Forest. You needed 80 points to go to Leeds. You didn't need any points to go to Villa. You, you won't need any points to go to, to a lot of away games this season. If not all of them, maybe Leeds, um, I'd imagine. So those fans are still there because it was the same under McLaren. It was the same under Carver. People were saying the away support was shy. People were saying, who are these people here? You, you, it's a younger crowd, which is natural, by the way, and fair enough. We we'll, we'll want a younger crowd because you want new generations of supporters coming in. But um, it, so it can't happen very, very quickly. And that's and this is, I didn't, I'm not, I mean, I don't think Steve Bruce is good enough manager to manage in the Premier League. I don't want to be our manager anymore. And I've been on the record several times. I still travel with Norman down to Villa Park to support his team, you know. So it's not like we're put, we're not putting in the, the yards and, and getting behind them. And, and we're, we're very vocal. I know everyone isn't, but me, us three on this podcast here are pretty vocal and we'll support the team. We do sing songs, we do get behind the team at matches. Um, someone said to me yesterday, um, or I think a, one of the two lads me and Norman were with, by the way, one of whom was at Derby that day, Mark, so we said he should do a podcast for you. Um, one of them made the point that it's it's so bad right now in terms of enthusiasm, besides return of the match coronavirus and stuff like that, that actually if Bruce was sacked and they brought in a new manager, even if no one knew who he was, probably better if no one knew who he was, it would just galvanise people. In, in, instead of what, what you've got now, is every defeat like this, to some, you, you've got a split. Some people are like, oh, it's only 2-0 last minute. We played all right in the first half. What is going on about? Stop being negative. <laughs> and then you've got the other side of it, which is fucking hell not being negative. That's that's the 50th time I've seen Bruce play that that, that play that exact game. He's only been here for 90-odd games. Like, So so we're, we're concerned about the same thing. So you've got this mini device, and then you've also just got this apathy. Which reigns particularly particularly about Steve Bruce Norman. I think the point you make about a new person galvanizing the fan base is really important because it reminds me of Sunes. And I think the morale of the fans by the time Sunes got sacked was so low. I mean, apathy. I think Man City, where was his last away game? The way the way and definitely didn't sell out for that game, right? I mean it was and it was an was a, abysmal, abysmal performance. And when he got mate, mate, sorry to interrupt. That game was a great example because it was that game was full of fans fighting with each other right. and arguing with each other. Fans turning on each and, other. And read, I mean, I mean, probably fighting with each other. You know, pe- pe- people having to be separated by stewards because there was lads there with Sunas out banners. There was lads there who'd gone down to see, were trying to get out of this rut and support the team. And then as soon as we went one nil down, it was it was Sunas out chance. It was horrible. It was about half full as well. It was yeah. just it just wasn't Newcastle United, but that's. That's that's where we're headed, in my opinion, mate. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's a good interruption, mate, because it's a very, uh, a very valid point. I totally agree with it, and um, I think Rora comes in, right, and and I I wasn't buzzing because it was Glenn Rora coming in. Don't get me wrong, as a player, wonderful history, someone who I, who I really, really liked. But he wasn't an inspirational managerial choice. What was the inspiration? What was the what generated the feel good factor? Was it was no longer Graham Sooners? Like that, it was like, oh, oh, thank God. It was almost like this cloud had been lifted, right? I'm not saying Bruce is at that stage, Jerry, and I'm not saying Steve Bruce is a, you know, a dark cloud hanging over all their heads because that's not the case. That's how it felt with Sooness. And I think 
if we kind of continued on this trajectory this season, and again, I'm not trying to be hysterical, I'm just saying if we continue like this for the next three or four games, it's those dark clouds are going to start gathering, right? And I think what the Sooness sack ensured was the impact that that change can have on the players as well. The players look different. Like immediately, immediately, the Portsmouth game at home, the Villa game away, the players looked completely different to what they were because guess what? They weren't getting played out of position all of a sudden. Sooness played players out of position. Brewster's the same thing. And for me, there's a there's a lot of resonance with the Sooness era right now. It's not as bad as it was on a Sooness, but there are signs after two seasons in the first two games of this season that that could be the case. So that's slightly worrying, and it's not really a surprise, as I say, that the away end's quiet after lockdown aside, two seasons of this. Yeah, well said, mate. Mark, you touched on it before. Um, what an opportunity Bruce has got. The two sides that finished 15th and 17th last season, Burnley in the Cup, Southampton on Saturday in the league. I don't think we'll get more than 44, 45,000 for that. Time will tell. Um, but ultimately, he's got himself in this position again. And the team have, whatever whatever way you look at it. He's got the t- he should he should be targeting two wins and two good wins in my opinion. Southampton haven't won a game. Burnley haven't won a game this season. Um, it's it's a big week for him because because if you fail to win that, and you know we'll of course have full analysis and previews on our Patreon platform. So if you like the podcast, give away a follow on there. Five pound fifty a month would thoroughly appreciate it. But you know you you don't you don't get a positive result against Southampton. You, you lose or you draw. We're not going to get anything against Man United. And then you've got Leeds, two away games at Watford at Wolves, and then Spurs. So it's like, you know, this is what happens when you lose games of football. You start to kind of think, well, what's the snowball effect? What's the snowball effect of this? But t- time will tell. And it's like, it's over to see. Bruce keeps saying he's got 900 games behind him. You'd think you'd learn how to make a substitution or try and inference a game when two goes down or one goes down. But but there you go. We can't, we're expecting. It's a difficult place to manage, lads. Um, I think we're done. I think, I think that does it for this week. Thanks to both uh, Norman and Mark. Really enjoyable chat, despite the defeat. And uh, me and Mark will be back for a free podcast after straight after the Burnley game on um, on Wednesday night for a late one. So tune in for that. And then uh, I'm on holiday next week, so I don't know who'll be taking the free one against all that, but we'll we'll sort that out between ourselves and due course. Thanks everyone for listening and watching. We'll speak to you all very soon. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do. Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.